Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Gina Yashire first came to the attention of Americans in 2007 when she appeared on Season 5 of Last Comic Standing, the first international season which also featured finalists Amy Schumer, Doug Benson, Lavelle Crawford, and eventual winner John Reap. But Yashire already had plenty of successful experience with comedy contests in her native England. She was a finalist for the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year and then also performed on the Big Big Talent Show. The daughter of Nigerian immigrants, Yashire rose from elevator engineer to sketch comedy player on The Lenny Henry Show on the BBC, and also became the first and only British comedian to perform on HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam. She now lives in New York City, where she just released her newest stand-up special, Ticking Boxes, on CISO, and began work at her new job as a correspondent on The Daily Show on Comedy Central. So let's get to it! Gina Yashire. Yashire. Um, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me, Sean. <laughs> I've seen you around for quite a while. I've seen you around. Now for I know quite what on. you do. <laughs> Did you not know before? Did you go? No, I do. I do. I, I read your, your thing online. Okay, I do. Because there are a lot of colorful characters who just hang around the oh, comedy yeah. cellar. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. And some of them, I don't know. Who, I've seen them for ten years, and yeah. I don't know who they I are. I just say hello to them because they seem nice people. <laughs> I don't know who they are, what they do, but they seem to be around. So I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm polite like that. I'm British. That's very nice of you. Um, but you're also the daughter of uh, Nigerians. That's right. And uh, I find this fascinating because I've, I've talked with a few comedians who are the children of immigrants. Right. I just did a podcast with Fahim Anwar. Oh, yes. Who also has a special out on CISO. Oh, yes. And uh, his parents are from Afghanistan. And yeah. he wow. had to have a whole plan before going into comedy. Because, because they wanted him to go to college. Oh, yeah, I had a plan. I used to work as an engineer. I studied, I have a degree in engineering. That's what I did. It was that because we of your... We all had the plan. <laughs> Every child of immigrants has the plan because you're not allowed to, to do anything that's outside the norm. Right. You know, in an, if they've worked their asses off to get to another country to give you a better life, you can't then turn around and tell them you want to be a clown, you know? Although I think, I wonder if there's something about being the child of an immigrant that makes you want to speak out even more about... The circumstances around you that uh, there's a there's a pull toward the stage. Um, I don't think it's just a, it's just that we have a more unique story to tell, you mm-hmm. know. So it's not uh, me wanting to speak any more than any other person who wanted to be a comedian, but I definitely have a slightly different story from most people, right. especially here in America. How how long did you pursue the engineering degree before? Oh, I worked as an engineer. I actually studied it mm-hmm. and then became an engineer after I left school. So uh, I worked as an engineer for like five, six years. Was comedy in the back of your brain then too? Nope. Or? Never. I never had any kind of aspiration to be a comedian. I had no idea what it was. Comedy was a bunch of guys on TV yeah. doing stuff. <laughs> and uh, as far as I was concerned, they were a different species of person to me. So, Comedian, uh, not man. Huh? Comedian is a different yes. species, not because they were well, men. Well, they were just people off the TV. Right. So I never thought I could be one of those people on the TV. So, yeah. What, I, 
I never thought I could do comedy. I never, I, I was even, I didn't even watch that much comedy as a kid. I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not one of these comedians that's got an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy and comedians and I haven't got that. I've never right. have. I've never really been into it. I just kind of fell into it and I found that I was naturally good at it and I loved it and it was something I was like, oh, this is what I've meant to be doing all my life. Did you fall into it or did someone push you? I fell into it. <laughs> Uh, what happened was um, I worked as an engineer I used to build and repair elevators That's what I did My last job I worked for Otis For okay. four years That's major building elevator company Elevators, yeah And um, so in the mid-90s The building industry Went for a slump They were making people redundant It happened to happen In the summertime So I was like Well I want the summer off And I'm fed up with this job So I'm going to leave Take voluntary redundancy And spend that summer Spending the money And enjoying myself and in that interim was when I started going, well, let me do all these things that people always said I should do because the school teachers were like, you need to be an actor or a performer because I was always like outgoing and funny at school. So people were always telling me, right. oh, you should be doing... So it was in that time during my voluntary redundancy phase that I thought, let me do acting workshops and plays and things like that. And I, I volunteered for various organisations organized uh, fundraising events stuff like that and one time I wrote what I thought was a play to me and two of my friends performed it turned out it was a comedy because people laughed their asses off <laughs> through the whole thing and that's where I was like oh I'm funny <laughs> and then I was like well how can I do this and th that's when I discovered stand-up comedy in the mid 90s what was the comedy scene like in London oh it was fantastic there was a lot of work there was there was clubs and Nights springing up all over the place so when I discovered I could do comedy there was a world of work just waiting for me did you know where to go to find I it? didn't I basically uh, I did a couple of competitions like talent shows right and from those talent shows people were like oh you should come and do my show I'll give you five bucks you come and do my talent show and I'll give you and that's basically how it started and at the time uh, comedy in the UK was booming so there were always talent scouts in every show and so from there I got onto a talent show on TV and it just went on from there and I just never went back to work as an engineer. Well, that's the first time I saw you and most Americans had their first glimpse of you was on a talent show, Last Comic Standing. Yeah. But, but I wasn't aware until I looked into your background that you were a talent show veteran at that point. I was There's all these competitions in Britain for comedy. Like this new uh, acts of the year? Yeah, so I basically... What is new acts of the year? Because a lot of people have done it. At the time, uh, it was called the Hackney Empire New Acts of the Year. It was a mm -hmm. massive competition. Uh, they did heats all over the UK, and then it culminated in a final. Mm -hmm. A Hackney Empire, which is a beautiful 1,600-seater uh, vaudeville theatre that Charlie Chaplin performed in in the mm -hmm. 90s, so it's, it's in 1920. So it's this beautiful mm -hmm. theatre in East London. It's got a fantastic history. And they always used to do the final there. And it was a massive thing. It was sold out every single year. And, yeah, it was a great competition to, be, to get into the finals of. And on the night of the finals, talent scouts from all television, radio, whatever, all came down right. to see who the latest talent was. So I did that competition in 96. So within sort of six months of starting out, I did this competition and came third. And from there, got onto another talent show on TV, which was shown on... ITV, which is kind of the equivalent of NBC uh, in England, and right. it just went from there. What are the? What is that competition like? The, the you said there's heats. 
Yeah. Is it is it kind of like Last Comic Standing or, or America's no, Got Talent it, where you're doing no. a few minutes? It's not a televised competition. It was just a live competition. Uh, the heats were done in pubs and clubs all around the country. Yeah. And the live show was just in the theatre. Was, there was no television. It wasn't so a televised So how are you thing. advancing through the heats? Uh, you, you win your heat. Your name goes on a list. You win another heat. And it basically goes down to sort of semi-final, yeah. final. You know, the normal graduation. Okay. But it's all comedians. Oh, yeah. It's a stand-up. It was a stand-up comedy competition. Yeah. It was a stand-up. Yeah. Uh, there was a million stand-up comics. I mean, the UK scene at that time was kind of similar to the US scene in the 80s, where it was just absolutely booming. But that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's one of those dreams that a lot of comedians have, but they, then they don't know how to re- pull it off in reality. They go, oh, I'll just enter a competition. I'll be the funniest person. I'll win the thing, and then I'll be a big star. You actually did that in the UK. Well, it, it, you know, I got on a good a talent show, which got me on TV right. and got me seen. But then I still had to go back and work the road and build my set. So, but luckily, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people that I'm very gung ho. So I throw myself into stuff headfirst. <laughs> and uh, also, I didn't know that much about stand up, right. which meant that every time I did a new show, I thought I had to do a new set. <laughs> So I wrote new, a new sort of four or five minutes every time I went on stage. So within the first year of doing comedy, I already had an hour of strong material. And <laughs> but was, it was accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I was right. You didn't that realize much. you could do the, the same five minutes for that exactly. first year. So within a year of starting out comedy, I did my first one woman show where I did an hour set, which was like unheard of. <laughs> Did, uh, did you feel the pull to Edinburgh? Oh, yeah, I've been to Edinburgh a few times, done shows there, but uh, I don't really feel that pull. I've done it a few times just for the experience of it, but no, I don't really care about Edinburgh. But, but when you were younger, was that like the thing that uh, people yeah. were like, oh, you have to go oh, up yeah, there and they you were have like, to do Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the thing you've got to do. You've got to do Edinburgh. But I did it a few times and I didn't enjoy it. So I was like, no, nah, it's ain't for me. I'll find my own path. <laughs> and your path led you to a guy named uh, Lenny Henry. That's right. Let tell, me, tell me about him. How did you, how did you get mixed up with him? He's so, he's a fixture over there. Yeah, he's a fixture. Lenny Henry was our biggest, one of our biggest comedians in the UK, and certainly our biggest black comedian in the UK for sure. But he was part of comedy royalty. He was up there with Dawn French and and all those guys um, from the alternative comedy scene that rose from sort of eighties. Alexi Sale and all those guys. So he was quite famous. He's had his own shows. He had a show called Chef. He even came over to America and did a, uh, a movie. So he was a big star. He had a, t- he had a TV show, a sketch show called The Lenny Henry Show. He'd seen me doing stuff, various bits and pieces, talking head stuff on television. And he called me in for a meeting to write on the show. So I came in for a meeting. I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to write on your show, but I don't, I don't want to be just a writer on somebody else's show I'm a comedian I do characters and stuff uh, so I'll only write on your show if, you, if there's an opportunity for me to create and perform my own characters on your show so they were like well fine you create these characters and they're good we'll put them on so I created two characters one was a young girl character kind of like the youth of today kind of thing you know I was basically sat at the back of the bus in, in London just listening to youngsters speak and just created this character and then one was an older African woman who was basically based on my mum. And both characters became extremely popular on the Lenny Henry show, which then opened me up to an even wider 
broader national audience, which meant I could then do a national UK tour. Uh, my first 50-date tour around the UK, selling out large theatres. So Lenny help, Henry helped me do that. Whereas before I'd been quite, I'd been seen as kind of an urban comic. So that opened me up to a wider audience. And that's strictly based on your skin color that you're looked at as an urban comic. Oh yeah, <coughs> yeah. Not it, the content of your no, my content. Act. I was doing lots of uh, sort of mainstream comedy shows mm-hmm. after the talent show that I did earlier in my career, but um, live-wise, I because I'd gone on to a TV show. I got after the talent show. I did another TV show, which was kind of an urban oh, okay. TV show uh, on the BBC in England. It was a black comedy show, so I became a huge star on the black stroke urban comedy scene in England because I was on this black TV show. So then when my live shows, it was mainly black audiences that came out. Hey, honey. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah, so I became a, a black star. So I was a bigger star on the black scene earlier on in my career. So while I was still working my way around the mainstream clubs, getting my name out there, on the black scene, I was already a star. <coughs> and I was selling out theatres to ju- just black audiences. So is there I'm, a big schism between the, the black scene and... Yeah, there is. Uh, similar to how it is here, to be honest. There's an urban That's scene, what I was going to ask, a black yeah. comedy scene, and there's a mainstream comedy scene. I always straddle both successfully because I was always like, I'm going to perform to any audience that's in front of me. But there is still... A, a, it's becoming less and less separate. As, you know, but there's still... Yeah, there is still a separation of black comics who are like, well, the mainstream scene aren't giving us gigs. They're not booking us for television shows, so we're going to do our own shit. So that's basically the similar kind of thing that's happening that's happened here in America. Okay. Do you also, having um, grown up in England and now seeing what's happening in America, do, did Brexit and then what's happening here with Trump, did that surprise you at all? Or, or? Yeah, Brexit was a big shock. Big shock. Uh, I flew back to England to vote, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of been on its way. There's been a lot of xenophobic feeling rising all over Europe. So it was a shock, but not a shock kind of thing. And then right. I knew that there, after Brexit, there was a possibility that America would go the same way because England and the states the UK and the states have got this kind of symbiotic relationship right. so what tends to happen in the UK you know it will ha- America tends to supersize it you know <laughs> and that's exactly what happened so Trump was horrible it was a horrible surprise but not a surprise uh, what, what is what does your mom make of all of it <laughs> my mom is a long time immigrant in England and it's kind of funny she knew it was happening you know, but my it's funny, old school immigrants are right. quite conservative. <laughs> because they've been here. Yeah, they've been here a long time. There's that kind of climb the ladder and pull it up behind you mentality. So <clears throat> I've heard my mum go, oh, these immigrants coming in here. And I'm like, mum, listen to yourself. <laughs> At what point, I know you mentioned in the special that... Um she showed up for the big, big talent show. Oh, yeah. Oh, you watched but, my special, have yeah. you? <laughs> I did my research. Oh, good. But at what point did she fully uh, embrace your career as a comedian? Uh, she embraced it when I got on television. <laughs> so, uh, so, Because that talent show was done. It was a massive show. It was a massive. It was seen by millions of people. You know, this was in 1996 when cable in the UK was not as expansive as it is now. So we still had only had really five main channels. It, 
So, and I was on one of the biggest. And the show the was kind of the precursor to Britain's Got Talent, right? Yes. Yeah. This was, a, was the yeah, show before that. Basically. So it was a massive show, seen Jonathan by millions Ross of people. Jonathan Ross is a, you know, he's like our Jimmy Kimmel or J- Jimmy Fallon in the right. UK. You know, he's... The talk, um, the talk the, show the guy, mass- host. Yeah. yeah, he is. Whenever massive stars are coming over to the UK to do stuff, Jonathan Ross or Graham Norton is who they go to right. uh, for talk shows. So, yeah, it was a massive show. So once I got on that... Up until that point, she'd not been interested. She just was like, when are you going back to engineering? When are you going back and getting a proper job? But once I got on this show, it validated the whole... It, I was validated, and after that, she's super proud. So, you know. Uh, does, she, does she tell all of her friends to go to your shows oh, and God, watch yeah. your show? Oh, and- God, yeah. I, I was recently... I did um, another episode of uh, Live at the Apollo recently, and my mum came to that show, because she only comes to the big ones that right. are televised. And she came to that show, and basically, I called her out. I said, "Hey, my mum's in the crowd," and my mum stood up and got her applause in front of four thousand people in the theatre and millions of people watching at home. So yeah, she's now she considers herself a TV star now. <laughs> Will she tune in though? For like, uh, does that midnight play over there? No, okay. Don't get at midnight in in the UK. Okay, yeah, but that's not big enough for her. <laughs> As far as that, if she, she can't be say, in the audience yeah, and get a shout out, yeah, if it's not on national TV, cable doesn't count to my mum. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, I first became aware of you through Last Comic Standing. Right? Did you feel like coming to America through a, a reality talent show was going to be easier since you'd been through these previous experiences? Um, I didn't think it was going to be easier. For me, it was just a route to get here. Uh, I've always wanted to come to the States. I used to come out here on vacation and go come here, come to the cellar, come to clubs and and do a few little shows here and there when I could. So I've always wanted to come here. So I was looking for an opportunity to come. And it's funny, I found out about Last Comic Standing and spoke to my agent about doing it before they had decided to go international. I'd been at Montreal Comedy Festival and I did a show with a woman who'd been on Last Comic Standing oh. and they were like blah 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 from Last Comic Standing and I was like what is this show and I <laughs> looked it up and I was like oh it's a talent show for American comics and I called my agent in England at the time I said listen there's this TV show called Last Comic Standing at the moment it's just American comics but I want to get on as the first international comedian and little did I know that they'd already decided they were going to go international and they were already inquiring about me so it was, yeah, it was meant to be. The universe worked. <laughs> and was it, uh, was it immediately an easy entry into the States after being on the show? Oh, yeah. Were you able to get club work well, immediately? Uh, not really. It's funny. The show didn't actually do that much for me That's... Uh, work-wise. It got me into the States, which is great, because to get on the show, to do the show, to perform on the show, you had to have an American work visa. So NBC paid for my visa they they got me a two-year visa okay paid the lawyers and everything so i got to so when i saw that i was like so does this mean i can live and work in america for two years and they were like yeah so i went back to england in between the semi-finals and finals and put my house on the market and uh, flew, flew a massive party at my house said i'm going to america uh, probably not coming back <laughs> And so sold my house, sold everything I owned, and literally came out here for the final with two suitcases to my name. And people were like, you're crazy. You've only got a visa. 
uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, well, that's the whole point. It's exciting, and I'm off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab this opportunity with both hands, and that's what I did. So, what happened those first couple of weeks after the show ended? Well, basically, I got into the top ten, got eliminated pretty much immediately, <laughs> and found myself in Los Angeles with uh, nowhere to live and no, no work. And you know, I just assumed that I was going to be on the show, get to the top five, end up on the uh, the national tour that they do, yeah, and hopefully find win the competition and buy an apartment with the proceeds. And I got eliminated <laughs> the first week. But so when that doesn't happen, but you have the but you have the two year visa. I had the two year visa. So, so I, what was your what was your backup plan? There was no backup plan. Luckily. Uh, I had enough money in savings and enough work in the UK to pop back back and forth between LA and the UK to earn money. And then I found myself an apartment in LA and then put my face to the grindstone and started hitting the clubs and just trying to get work. How, how, how difficult was that? I mean, you had, you, you were on a, you were on the TV. I was. They saw you for a few weeks with the auditions and the... Oh, uh, yeah, but what it was, because it was their first international show, they assumed, I think most clubs assumed that all of us went back to our respective countries <laughs> when we when the show was finished. So, you know, most people didn't know that I was still in America, so I had to keep banging on club stores going, no, I'm here. Right. I'm actually in America. Uh, Did you literally, like... Go to the improv, the improv on Melrose. Yeah, and the I, I did all that. Laugh yeah. Factory and say, yeah, yeah. Jamie Masada, I'm right yeah, here. basically. Okay. And it was very hard getting getting work here, you know, and, and especially living in LA. I didn't realize how shit the comedy scene was in LA. I, I assumed I was like, LA, great, it's Hollywood, the TV industry, uh, and comedy clubs. I can do comedy and earn a living <clears throat> in the sunshine, you know. I thought I can earn a living in the sun perfect i can do comedy in the sun and it didn't work out that way at all there's no money in los angeles nobody gets paid for doing comedy there they had a strike because of that i heard that in the the 80s right in In the late 70s yeah in the late 70s and and yet comedians are still doing shows out there for eight (laughs) dollars how does this make sense well it is is nice and sunny so i guess well there you go so i i stayed cheaper the way cheaper i had a you know and that's what kept me in la for so long i had a beautiful apartment with a rooftop pool overlooking the, the Hollywood sign. I had parking for two cars. So I was like, look at this, I'm in Hollywood, living the life, even though I was earning absolutely no money in L.A. and I had to keep getting on planes to go elsewhere to earn money and then bring the money back to L.A. and then live off it. And then I'd run out and then I'd get on another plane and go somewhere. And that's what I did in Los Angeles for seven years. When did it start to turn for you here in America? When, what? Who, in was, what way? Was there a club or a, or a fellow comedian who... That gave you that break here in America that um, that started the well the gigs coming and not just one gig it's, here and it's, one gig it's there. It's still been a, a big struggle getting work out here. Uh, one as a woman, female comedian, you know there aren't that many female headliners, and you have to have a, a, a ton of credits in comparison to the guys to get the same amount of headlining work. You know, I struggle to get stuff in clubs where. They take on some guy who was nowhere near my level comedically, but they'd pay for the room and they'd be willing to take that risk with him, whereas they wouldn't take that risk with me. So it was, it was hard work getting on. And even though I got loads of TV stuff at the beginning, I was working, you know, I got on Deaf Comedy Jam. I, I managed to get on the when Leno was hosting The Tonight Show and had his own show, The Jay Leno Show. I got on there doing sketches and bits and pieces on the show. So I had lots of TV credits. 
But funnily enough, the first few years of all those TV credits was not automatically turning into regular club work, which is what I assumed it would, and it just right. wasn't happening. It just didn't happen for me that way. It was still a struggle getting work. How did you, how did you carry through that without just giving up and going back to the UK and going, well, I know it works. I know London likes me. And Well, because I was like, well, I've, I've made the move. I've sold my house. Right. I'm in LA. And, you know, I knew as a woman, as a black woman, as a black woman from somewhere else, it was going to be harder to get, you know, to get noticed. So I was like, I was, I dug my heels in. I was ready for the long haul, you know. And how long was that haul? Uh, I'm still hauling. <laughs> Well, you're, you're here at the Comedy Cellar, so... Well, this is it. Well, I, where uh, everybody wants to perform. Well, this is it. I moved to New York in the end. <laughs> After a while... <laughs> they forget L.A. Yeah, New York's where it's at. Yeah, the sunshine and, and swimming pool that I never went in. I just lay by and posed on Instagram next to. Uh, eventually, that, that was not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go away and I'd, I'd come to New York for three weeks every year and hit all the clubs and basically get known. And that's how I got, I got past at the Cellar years before I actually moved out here. And I'd come back to New York every year and come back to L.A. with my pockets full of money. And I'm thinking, what the fuck am I doing in Los Angeles earning no money when I could be in New York right. doing comedy, doing what I love? Because I'm a comedian. I don't, I, you know, I'm, in L.A. there's a lot of comedians who are not really comedians. They just want to be on TV or want to be famous. And they're using the stand-up comedy as a stepping stone to get on TV. Right. And once they get on TV, they'll probably never do stand-up again. Was I'm the other way around. I want t- television. I want to use television to get more people to come out and see me do my stand-up. So, you know, I'm not. I don't really care about being, having my own sitcom or being in a movie. I want to sell out theaters around the world, and that is enough for me. <laughs> so yeah, New York has. So basically, LA. It, you know, LA was not the place for me right. because. I don't want to be doing auditions every day to play the security guard in How I Met Your Mother or whatever. I want to be a comedian. It's too bad America doesn't have more panel shows like Britain has. Where Yeah, that's another thing. There isn't. I mean, there's more stuff happening now in New York. We're like, you've got Comedy Knockout on True TV. You've got At Midnight and Comedy Central. You've got The Daily Show, which is giving a lot of stand-ups uh, you know, work and stuff. So there's a lot more stuff happening now. But when I first came out here, I was like, wow, <clears throat> there's not that much television for comedians apart from comedy specials. That, that, that's all there was, really. Right. And if you're not getting off at a, a Comedy Central special or whatever, or HBO or Showtime special, there wasn't that much else out there. But I'm glad to see that more, more stuff is happening now, more variety of TV opportunities for comics. So I always ask uh, my guest this. Now that you know, now that you've made it through the long haul, and you can, can I, have, I don't consider myself having made it yet. It's, I'm still well. You've made hustling. it this far. I've made it this far. So it's great. I'm in New York. I'm making a living. You know, obviously, I've sold two specials out here. Uh, well, I've actually got three specials out here. One that was on Showtime. Another one that's played every. I get a check every month from Sirius. Oh, from where it's been played constantly, which is awesome. And now I've just got my third special on CISO and there's yeah. a lot of good stuff happening this year so it's working it's, it, this is yeah this is looking good right you made it through the, the darkness and you can see the light yes I can see the at light at the end of the long haul yeah what what advice would you give to a, a 
a young woman in comedy, or a young black woman in comedy, or a young child of immigrants in comedy. Fuck. You cover all the bases. I do cover all the bases. Well, be uh, true to your own voice, be as original as you can, don't steal other people's material, and have fun with it. And really, you have to really want to do this. If you're using this as a means to get famous, then you're in the wrong business, unless you're really young and really hot, and then you might just make it. Because, you know, you, you can always bypass the normal channels if you're young and hot and <laughs> averagely funny. But if you're, if you're not, then you need to really want to do this. <laughs> and you still really want to do this. Oh, fucking, I love this. This is my life's work. I, there is nothing else I want to do in my life but this. I've never been in a job more than five years. I've been doing this 20 <laughs> Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you took a, a half hour before doing the next spot to talk no to me. Problem. Thank you so much, Thank Gina. Thank you, Sean. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com. For more interviews, reviews, and comedy news, become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.